Hello, I'm Toby Haydoke, and when I met my next victim, it was Moida. Well, it wasn't really, it was, a, it was a sort of Doctor Who podcast thing, but it was Moida. Uh, well then, people, time to exercise your little grey cells to see if you can work out who I have gathered you all into the drawing room to confront. He's been in Blake 7, Softly Softly, and even Jerry Anderson's Space Precinct. But despite a lengthy and impressive career, only cropped up in Doctor Who relatively recently. And by the magic of Skype, so uh, the quality isn't what it could be. Uh, it's time to jump onto the podcast bus and say I'll get you butler I'm recording and I'm recording and I will say um, well uh, this is one of those interviews I'm doing with Skype Um, so I will ask the gentleman in question to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who well, I am David Quill, sir. I'm an actor, and I appeared in an episode of Doctor Who called The Unicorn and the Wasp. And you were playing a butler, David, and I don't know why, but for some reason I've always imagined you as a butler. Does that make sense to you? Uh, I can see why, in a way, um, but uh, I see myself more as the employer. I don't like to think of myself as a servant but being Felicity Kendall's servant was a delight uh, I've always been a big fan of Felicity Kendall and she played Lady and I was her butler yeah and it was I mean it was quite a cast so how did you come to to be in uh, Doctor did you have to uh, audition or were you offered it no I auditioned um and was surprised to subsequently be offered it, but uh, I was. And, um, yes, it, it was a fantastic cast, actually. The, um, Christopher Benjamin, uh, and, and, I mean, I, I've been great, a great fan of Felicity Kendall and Catherine Tate uh, for a long time, and they were both lived up to their expectations. They were fabulous in their different ways, very different, but... Um, fantastic to work with and it was like actually it was like going back in time in terms of television because we were a company we were there, we, and we were doing an Agatha Christie play it was that's what it was like because Agatha Christie appeared in this in this episode and um and it was really an Agatha Christie play and so we were there all the time and there was long periods when there was you know, David Tennant as as the detective in a way was going around everybody saying, "No, you did this, you did that," and it was uh, it was just nice to be a company and go to work with the same people every day, rather than you know nowadays we show up on the day, do our bit with one actor and and go home again. So yeah, it was some good experience. Well, it's interesting that you say that because of course when I talk to actors from Doctor Who back in the day. Yes. They they rehearse for a week and, and oh, yes. part of a sort of rep company. Whereas of yes. course now you generally, as you say, you, you you turn up and do it, and 
quite often might not meet some of your co-stars. Sure. But was that so? Was that contrived because um, because it was an old-fashioned piece in a case? Largely, I think yes, and also I mean the fact that it's all filmed um, in and around Cardiff, and and their their permanent set is just outside Cardiff. Um, So you have to everyone has to converge on Cardiff, and because this the, the the story of the of the episode was a house party. Um, everybody had to be together all the time, so we were, and, uh, and that it was. It was. It was like going back in time. It was lovely. And of course, to be in an Agatha Christie, the part to play is surely the butler. But what assumes you might have done? Yes, I mean, I was. I was a sort of red herring, and and um, I, that was that was part of the device of my character that he was. The Butler in a in a Who Done It, um, and so was going to be at some point a prime suspect. Well, you got some you got some lovely business because I remember that big corridor scene with Catherine Tate, and yeah. you were sort of hanging around looking suspicious. Yes. Um, and I, I'm surprised, David. I have to say, because you've been an actor for so long, that you you've never cropped up. You were one of those actors that I always used to watch on television. And was always surprised that you'd never done a Doctor Who when Doctor Who was on originally. No, I was offered one, actually, um, in, oh, God, I suppose probably about 1968, 69, something like that. And it was one of those rare occasions when I'd actually been offered something else as well. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, I can't remember what it was. I I think it was a thing called... Seven Days in the Life of Andrew Pelham. And I w- Donald Sindon and I played co-pilots in an airline. That's the thing I did when, when I was offered Doctor Who. And I was offered it by somebody called David Sullivan Proudfoot, who I did an episode of Blake Seven. Blake Seven, yeah. Subsequently, yeah. So do, do, uh, do you remember um, Blake Seven, which of course has its own place in television history? <laughs> I, I, I'm never quite sure why these things have places in television history <laughs> because I thought it was pretty dreadful. Actually, I mean, um, I mean, it was, it, it, you know, it was funny to me. It was funny. Uh, I'm not a great fan of sci-fi, I have to say. Um, so, you know, Blake Seven really didn't fit in with my thing. But, it, it, but then it was a job, and um, and it was fun. I mean, it was fun to do. And, and most most things are fun to do, I suppose. But uh, the um, the whole sort of premise of the series, I, I, space and monsters and all that kind of stuff, doesn't quite do it for me. No, but it's all it's it's all part of a, a, an actor's trade, isn't it? Is that you have to do sure. um, you have to, so so. Let's go back to the beginning. So, what what inspired you to act, and um, how did you get into it? into the profession? Um, I never acted at school, and I always wanted to, and I was too timid, I suppose. And then I remember some chap at school getting a scholarship to RADA, and he was going to be a professional actor, and I thought, wow. And I, I thought, God, that's a, that, I just want to do that. I had no basis of... 
um, performing or knowledge of any kind of talent or anything. But uh, that's that was the the sort of key, and nothing has ever changed since then, since that time. And subsequently, having left school and not knowing what I was going to do, and going to some college to do retake my maths O levels or something. Um, my father sat me down and said, well, uh, if you're not going to do this or that or the other, what, is there something you do want to do? And I said, yeah, I want to be an actor. And my parents were incredibly supportive and um, they very sensibly said, well, join an amateur group, see if you like it, see if you're any good at it. And I did that. And I liked it and wasn't any good at it. Um, but I started auditioning for drama schools and went to Weber D, Weber Douglas, sadly no longer in existence. And um, that was it. That was the beginning. Is, is it very different? It's interesting because as a Doctor Who fan, one looks at old Doctor Who and the way that that was made and yep. was at the time, and new Doctor Who. And, and one of the things that has changed, I would suggest, is the acting profession, in that there was a lot more television made in those days. Yeah. Um, actors were much more gainfully employed. Yeah. Um, and people that made television, I would say, were much more actor literate. And now, as you say, you sort of come in for a day, a couple of days, that there's, there's less of a company feeling. Uh, yeah. So do you miss those days? And, and, and what do you think has yeah, that changed? I, I do miss it. Um, I mean, and also when I started, I should think 99% of actors from drama schools went into rep. Mm -hmm. And every, not just every county or every city, but every town had a rep. I mean, uh, the, the, there was weekly rep, there was fortnightly rep. I mean, the, the rep I went to first was a weekly rep in, in Chesterfield. And every single member of the company was employed as an acting ASM because it was cheaper, and so we all did everything, and it was a fantastic experience, frightening, now thinking back on it, it's terrifying, but we did a play a week, and rehearsed, and, and it, but it gave you something, and then when, when I started in television, uh, we, we always, yes, went into a rehearsal room, Rehearsed for what, depending on the length of the program, if it was 50 minutes, which was common then, you'd rehearse for 10 days. If it was uh, an hour, you'd rehearse for two weeks. And it was absolutely a set schedule. And I did mostly BBC. And then the, they had the North Acton rehearsal rooms. And you met everybody there. You, it was a big social club. At lunchtime, you just, you know, I used to meet people like Omar Sharif, Morecambe and Wise, you know, everybody who was on television there rehearsed there. And it was just fantastic. And that's gone. It's completely gone. I think the North Acton rehearsal block is a wardrobe store now. It's such a shame. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've gone down really the American route. Uh, with um, and, and everything's shot like a film, single cameras, and and um, you turn up on the day you're required.
And yes, you're right. You, 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 you probably don't meet most of the cast. You meet the people you're working with and maybe the people before and after, but that's it. Whereas, of course, you served your, I would guess, your television apprenticeship on, uh, on something definitely known as the classic, which is Softly Softly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was, I mean, is that where you, where you learned how to act on television? Because, it, I mean, it was a, a very fast turnaround, of course, compared to... Yes, it was. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 re- I remember thinking when I first got that part that I, I must be very low-key. I mean, a lot of, I, I found that a lot of the theatre I was doing, I, I would look for the comic elements as much as possible and in a in a kind of outrageous way I suppose if possible um, something kind of off the wall and um, that didn't fit with being a policeman <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I was very very low key to begin with and it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I certainly learned. I, and I did 28 episodes, so, I mean, I learned quite quickly. Um, Stratford Johns is extraordinarily naturalistic yeah. yeah. at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, Frank Windsor, as well, as, as, as uh, Sergeant Watt, I mean, was... Uh, I really liked watching him rehearse, because he would not accept anything that wasn't absolutely clear. He would go through the, the script and go through the rehearsal period. And this is why rehearsals are so important, I think. Um, to, just to clarify everything, because sometimes there were big holes in the scripts, and, you know, they were, because they were written quickly, just the, like the programmes were made quickly. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was, uh, I, he was my kind of... Um, Touchstone, if you like, to, to, to watch as somebody who, who got it absolutely right. Yeah, and Stratford Johns, I, I became a good friend with Stratford Johns, and uh, um, he was uh, he was kind of underrated as an actor. I think I think he was very very good. Yes, he's, he's extraordinarily naturalistic. Um, yeah. I think. Um, and of course, bringing it right up to date. I mean, you know, when David Tennant was cast as, as Doctor Who. Um, he, he was quite big news, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to um, cross paths with him. He's, he's quite an extraordinary fellow, isn't he, David Tennant? Yes. Um, he, I, he's not my favourite Doctor Who, I have to say. Um, Who is? Ah. Um, well, oddly enough, Patrick Troughton. He was just to us. made for television. He was absolutely made for television. And I worked with him on a couple of occasions, and... He said, I would not go near the theatre if you paid me a million pounds. He said, I just live for television. And he he was just completely... And he said that he had a wonderful face for a start. I mean, it was just crumpled, you know, sort of um, fabulous face. Very nice, gentle man. And um, just loved doing TV. Well, he was one of the first, wasn't he? Of the, of those he was the second, I think. So he was that came out right after. Yeah, he was the second Doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he was one of those the, the early actors who made a living exclusively from television. 
Absolutely. Um, I mean, when you when you started, was 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 television still a bit of a dirty word? Because because some actors wouldn't touch it. Well, in some ways, I mean, yeah, theatre. I suppose the the pinnacles were theatre, like the Royal Shakespeare Company, or um, or the movies. The movies were okay. Television was was looked down on slightly, but I think it very quickly became less so. And certainly when um, the regular sort of um, one-off plays were aired, like the Wednesday play and oh. and so on. Um, and yeah, I wish those days would come back. But um, but no, yes, I mean I, that didn't last for long because television just became such you know, once everybody had one, and and the channels opened up a bit. You know, there was BBC Two and then Channel Four and so on. Came along. Um, no, there was no. But the the what the the big stigma for actors in those days was doing commercials. That was absolute no no, and 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 doing voiceovers was a no no. I mean, I could kill myself. Because I decided I wouldn't do voiceovers because I was too bloody grand. <laughs> I mean, and there were people like you know N. Rytel and Ray Brooks and, and Patrick Allen making a fortune. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you t- you took yourself out of the market. Took myself out of the market, and when I wanted to get in, couldn't because it was too late. Too late. Well, too late to do commercials. Well, I did lots of, I've done lots of sort of documentaries type stuff, but um, not the money stuff. No. And we we uh, we moved away there from talking uh, talking about your doctor, David Tennant. Right. How uh, was he? Sorry. How was he? He's a very nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Um, and very. I mean, I I I admire him. He's. He, I mean, he put so much energy and commitment into that thing and um, you know w- when we were down at this uh, country house where we were filming there were photographers hanging over the walls and and he just dealt with it very well very well indeed well, it's, and, and of course you know his sidekick was, was Catherine Tate whose casting was, was an enormous controversy at the time yeah I know she was a name yeah, yeah, and and there's another quite a big performer, I would say. Yeah, and and, and they 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 were a terrific double act together, and um, and I love her. I think she's um, I think she's a really talented person. In, in not just in in comic ways, but um, just in sort of. Um, Truth. What what did what what did you think of the script when you when you got it through? Did you think it was a? Uh, oh, it made me laugh. It was just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. I mean, it was. I, I've I've seen it, and it's a bit like it, it is a bit like a, an Agatha Christie play on stage in a way. I think it's it's um it's not. I mean, m- most of the performances. <laughs> A bit over the top in a way. <laughs> they were quite theatrical, um, but it, it works. It, it works as a 
it's a sort of funny little period piece. It's and probably actually it's quite unusual for for a, for a Doctor for a Doctor Who episode. But I think um, I think they they wanted to do something on Agatha Christie. Well, I also you see, I'd, I'd always thought of Doctor Who as children's television because I, I remember seeing the first ever episode um, and. Um, I was then what twenty, twenty one. Uh, it was it was broadcast on the twenty third of November nineteen sixty three, the day after John F. Kennedy's assassination. Right, and I was in Southwold visiting my sister at school, where she, where she was at school, and we went to this hotel and we sat and watched the first episode of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I was twenty one, uh, and I thought, oh well, this is this is children's television. And she she liked it, and then I always thought of it as children's television. So when I got this script, actually, and I hadn't really paid any attention to the new Doctor Who at all, well, uh, and I thought this is actually a bit too you know that kids aren't going to get it, some of these references and jokes. Um, but then I realised it's, it's BBC drama now. It's not um, you know it's uh, entertainment for all. And I was, that surprised me. Because you'd expected, had you expected to be sort of acting down in a way? Well, not so, no, I, well, I don't, I, no, I don't think acting for children is, it should be different, but I, but I, I sort of think the, the stories should be different, and, and, um, but it was sort of, it was kind of like pantomime, in as much as, you know that the, the, there are jokes that are aimed at the adult e- element of the audience, and there are jokes that are aimed at the kids. And so, you, know, you get a bit of slapstick for the kids, and then a, a slightly risque joke for the adults, and so on. Um, and the script was kind of reminding me of that in a way. Well, and of course, you, you mentioned him earlier, um, but Christopher Benjamin is one of the few actors that has done Doctor Who in the old days and right. Doctor Who in its uh, modern incarnation. Yeah. So do tell us about Christian, but I mean he's a, he's a hugely admired actor, I think, in the profession, isn't he? Oh, and what a delightful guy! Oh, it's just absolutely charming. And um, yeah, I, I, he was. Yeah, I thought he was very funny in it as well. He was lovely. Yes, he 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 gave me the laugh out loud moment where he uh, stood up and then. Stand. <laughs> 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 uh, we have to mention, of course. Because Doctor Who wasn't your first uh, brush with science fiction. We mentioned Blake Seven, but you also did Space Precinct. Yes. Which was uh, an extraordinary um, enterprise um, of Gary Anderson's. And you were a sort of regular, but you were hidden beneath prosthetics. Oh, but beneath a false head. I mean, it was, yes, uh, 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 this very sophisticated electronically controlled. I mean, all the, the, the heads were controlled by somebody else standing over there. And uh, um, it was quite a laugh. But the, the great thing for me about it was that um, apart from coming at a time when I was uh, in some dire straits, so it kind of rescued me. Um, what work, work-wise... Yeah, I'd, I'd had a thin time leading up, leading up to that, and and uh, I went to a party, and Rebecca Howard, the casting director, was there, and 
I said, Rebecca, you've got to help me. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate. I'll do anything. And she said, well, I, all I'm doing is this stuff called uh, Space Precinct. And uh, if you want a day in a mask at Pinewood, I'll see what I can do. So I said, fine, anything, I'll do it. The next day, I get a phone call from my agents and um, I said, um, you've been offered Space Precinct. I said, oh, right, a day in a mask at Pinewood, great. And they said, no, it's um, 40 weeks over a year, and um, you start tomorrow. I couldn't believe it. Well, and it's, it, the, the, the fascinating thing about that for me is I remember when it came out and, um, and the cast being announced. And, um, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but I always think of you as a, a sort of quintessentially English actor. Yeah. Uh, and here you were playing... A, to all intents and purposes, an American uh, desk sergeant from yeah. space. I was lucky, actually. I was one of, the, one of about two who actually did his own voice. All the others were voiced by other people, uh, other actors, by voice artists. Did Jerome Willis do his own voice? He, yes, he did. He was doing Irish. His Captain Podley was Irish. Yeah. Which is... It's acceptable for an English actor to do Irish, but not... <laughs> well, it is for, to do American now. I mean, a lot do. And, uh, but, um, no, they, on, on the, I think our second episode, they said... Because um, we all started doing it in, with English accents. Oh, really? Yeah. But just our own voices. Um, and they said, no, it's, it's got to be American. And they said, we're going to get other people to, 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 um, revoice you. So if you want to stay in the series, you can, but be, be revoiced. And I said, well, wait a minute. Why can't we do our own voices? And they said, because it's American. I said, well, auditioners. So they did. And there was one actor in it who did leave. I won't <coughs> mention his name, but he, he came into the um, makeup room and said, I can't believe it. They were, they're not taking my voice, and I am an American. Oh. <laughs> Which he might have been, you know, by birth or something. But um, anyway, yeah, he left. Um, um, anyway, I, I, I was allowed to do my own voice. And not only that, but I, I played about four guest villains of the week in various episodes, so did lots of different voices, which I just loved, because that's one of my favourite things to do. I love doing kind of different voices. It, it, I mean, that was what I thought was the, um, one of the very interesting things about it, was it, it was it was almost like an old rep company, in that you were a sort of team who, who played different parts, which doesn't happen because there's a uh, yeah, a few of us did different parts, and yeah, it, it was fun. <coughs> I mean, for some of them, it was pretty uncomfortable, I have to say. I mean, these things were horrendous to put on, and you had a you had part of the prosthetic stuck on, and then the rest of it was put on over the top and sort of matched up. But you were in it all day, every day. I was lucky. I I, I got most of my stuff done in the first two days of shooting, and then. I had the rest of the week off, but um, no, it was it was pretty uncomfortable for for two or three of them. And, and had you did you have high hopes that that it would carry on? Because it only it only lasted for one series. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the the intention was that it was going to go, you know, everyone had a sort of five-year clause in their contract. But they, it was, it was rushed out. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, nothing was ready when it was starting, started shooting. And they had no kind of Bible to, to go by. So there were, all the rules were kind of made up as they went along. And basically it was inconsistent. And that, that they introduced kind of these monsters from left field that had no bearing on anything that had gone before. Yeah, but I mean, I, we all kind of thought that we'd be there for two or three years at least. And and when you when you think about your career, what what have been the jobs that because obviously I, Lisa Bowman very kindly put us in touch, and you very kindly emailed me and said you would be prepared to do this ridiculous podcast <laughs> I'm doing uh, as a result of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and Doctor Who seems to be the thing that you know any actor. Uh, any sort of illustrious career um, is always cornered backstage at theatres to talk about Doctor Who. Uh, if we weren't talking about Doctor Who, and if you had the choice, what what are the jobs that that, that stick out for you as the ones that you felt maybe <coughs> you were best in, or or were the most important ones for you to be a part of? Well, in terms of, I mean, <clears throat> there are some theatrical jobs that I've done that. Uh, well, if I'd seen them, I might feel differently. I don't know. <laughs> but um, but that would be my favourites, like playing um, Thomas More in A Man for All Seasons and, and playing Henry Higgins in Pygmalion and that kind of thing. I'm doing, doing Pinter's Betrayal at Liverpool Playhouse. Um, those are certainly major highlights for me. Um, Where did you do Man for All Seasons? Crew. It's a hell of a play and a hell of a part. It is. It's, uh, yeah, and I've done it, I've done it, I've done it at Nottingham Playhouse playing at King Henry um, in the mid-60s. And then I got the part of uh, Thomas in, uh, must have been 1977, I think, that crew. And uh, and it was directed by an actor called Jack Carr. I don't know if you've come across him. Uh, yes, indeed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. actor. <laughs> and he, he was actually a really good director. I, I don't know if he's directed much... Since, I don't know, I've, I've, I've met him as an actor again since, but um, it turned out really well, and I, it was, it was, it kind of, um, it was kind of a leapfrog thing for me, because after that it gave me a great deal of confidence, and uh, so I, 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 I look back on that fondly. But it, in terms of, is it, is it difficult to... Uh, because obviously Paul Schofield looms large yeah. uh, with that part. Is it difficult to play a part where somebody has made such an impact? And I'm, I mean, I assume you've seen. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and, and also I've been on stage with Paul Schofield as well. Right. Uh, and uh, I would love to have been Paul Schofield, I have to say. He was, I mean, to watch him rehearse was an experience. Uh, he... He's another one. He's like Frank Windsor, who would go through a line, a line until it until it was clear, until it was until he he understood it, until he knew everyone else understood it. And even at the read through of, of this was Time of Athens at um, Stafford, 
um, he uh, he would stop and and go back on a line and because he wanted it to be clear right from the start so that he wasn't tripped up by something else later on. And um, but in terms of playing a part that he's or that somebody else has played, no, I think I think you you pick up the, the text and. That part is almost actor-proof. It would be an unbelievably bad actor who is unbelievably bad in that part, quite honestly. It's just all there. And it's it's just laid out for you like a beautiful journey. You know, it's fabulous. Funny you should say actor-proof because Doctor Who was described as a part uh, that is actor-proof. Well, it is in a way. It's like Hamlet because it's, it's, you, you put your own... You bring yourself to it, I think. You bring your own... And, and gradually the writers start writing for you rather than for, 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 for you know, they, they put you in it rather than the, just the story. And um, that's, that's, I think that's one of the beauties of being in a long-running serial or series, though, that you, you they, they take on board stuff from you. And they they do say that you're not really an actor unless you've done a Doctor Who. So, ha- having been an actor for... Yeah, I'm an actor. Is it, is it 40 years? Um, 50. 50 years. Um, Doctor Who came quite late for you. So, do you, do you feel yeah. you finally arrived? <laughs> I do. I do. I'm there. Yep, I've made it. But, that, but that's it, you know. <laughs> I'm finished now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had more mail from having been in Doctor Who than from everything else put together. And why do you think that is? Because, <laughs> um, because people love it. People love it. And, and, and a lot of people, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of quite obsessive people about it. And, and it's, it's sort of like Star Trek, you know, there, there, there are people who get into the fantasy of it. And, um, and I can understand that uh, because fantasy is very appealing, and um, they can get to the point where it's a little bit weird. But then, but but but, uh, but then you know anything can, I suppose. But it, you know, I mean, pe- people are incredibly nice about it, and uh, I mean, the letters I've had. Uh, some of them, you know, quite gushing about it, and really, I, I think, you know, God, I, I wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, fine, I'll take it. Of course. Yeah. Well, I've, I've already exceeded my time limit, so I have the two final questions that I asked, uh, which I did prime you uh, for. One is, uh, I would ask you then to nominate a charity, but if, uh, if the listeners have enjoyed uh, our podcast today, um, because they haven't paid for it, um, we hope to do some good by nominating a good cause that they can donate to. Comic relief. Oh, good choice. To start something like that and to see it grow the way it has and and, and to see the good it does um, is fantastic. I mean, my second choice probably would have been the Actors Benevolent Fund, <laughs> <laughs> which I, 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 do, I do subscribe to. Um, that's better than your own nest. Oh, it's quite. <laughs> yes, you never know. 
And how did, actually, as an adjunct, because um, uh, we were put in touch by, by lovely Lisa Barrowman, how, how do you know Lisa? I don't. Well, I say I don't. I mean, I, I think I've met her about twice in my life. We've never worked together. Um, I'm hoping to rectify that because we've been in touch recently and, I, and she said she directs these um, big radio. Big finish. You must do a big finish, yes. I do. I want to. I want to. Tell her. Uh, Will, well, I'm doing <laughs> now on the big <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, and uh, Doctor Who is 50. We, we mentioned this earlier, uh, and you saw the first episode, Doctor Who is 50 this mm-hmm. year uh, on November the 23rd. Uh, and the reason we are doing this is because Doctor Who fans um, consume all things Doctor Who. So do you have a message to the fans out there um, as they celebrate the 50th year of Doctor Who? No. <laughs> I, can't think of a, I can't think of a thing except keep on watching. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, keep it going because, uh, you know, Doctor Who and my career are the same length. And um, I started my career in 1963. And uh, so, you know, 1963 was a very good year. And do you have any un- unfulfilled ambitions uh, as an actor then? Um, do I have any Yes, I do, um, and I'm going to fulfil them. Um, and that is to play a number of um, leading Shakespearean roles. And I'm putting together a Shakespeare piece which I'm going to put on YouTube um, probably by the end of this year. And it is a sort of amalgamation of various pieces, which fit together incredibly well for some reason. I don't know why. I just, it just happened that way. Uh, anyway, that, yeah, I'm going to do that. And um, my next-door neighbour, you can't see where I'm living in the beautiful countryside here. Uh, my next-door neighbour is uh, a cameraman, and he and I are going to do this. Oh, well, um, you must uh, send me a link uh, I will. on the internet, and we will we will put it up and direct people there. Good. But until then, uh, David Cooper, it's very kind of you to lend me your time this morning. Pleasure. Uh, uh, to talk about just, you know, a tiny part of your TV. Um, but, but thanks very much for talking to you about that. Not at all, and I wish you all the best in your burgeoning career. <laughs> well, in, <laughs> what, what I will do when I'm not working is, is do things like this. Good. Well, thank you very much. Not at all. Give it up for Lisa. She's been mentioned a lot, and quite rightly so. Thanks to Lisa Bowerman for putting uh, myself and David in touch. And, of course, to David himself. And do check out his website at www.davidquilter.com. And his charity is Comic Relief. Uh, as a professional but impoverished comic maybe I should just give you my bank account details but no uh, it's a worthy cause and uh, supported and indeed created by Richard open brackets Vincent and the Doctor close brackets Curtis Uh, I think he might have written some other stuff as well so donate please at www.comicrelief.com my next victim uh, was in just one seventh of one Doctor Who story 40 years ago he's never been to a convention and never given an interview uh, well he's never given an interview certainly about Doctor Who before 
I'll try not to shoot him down. So till the next time on Toby Haydope's Twang, who's round? Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, the Lady of Mercia. England, 1983. Time to stretch our legs, I think. You've brought us here for a reason, haven't you, Doctor? You're here for the conference, of course. The heirs of Ethelfred. Perspectives on the queens of the Dark Ages. Tegan, look at this. Some old sword in a case. What's the matter with you? I I was staring at the sword, and I heard this noise. And here we are, 918 AD. These are the interlopers. A sorcerer and his apprentice, aye. I am Ethelfred of Mercia, queen of the northern lands and protector of the northern peoples. And I am beset on all sides by enemies from abroad and within. We're not going anywhere, Dr. Stone, not if there's a chance of getting Tegan and your husband back. Tegan or her husband, surely? One of them's dead? That's what you're saying? Follow witch! Do not presume to tell me what to think. Guards! Place these creatures in irons, then search every corner of this castle. You must find my daughter! You're outnumbered! Surrender, woman! Never! Not a Viking filth! No! There are more of them in the valley! You'll get us all killed! I am Elfwyn, Princess of Mercia! And I am here to wreak havoc on you all! Subscribers get more at bigfinish.com